0: if i lost too much weight if i gained too much weight it was all so scrutinized and and i felt like i i can't be this thing that they want me to be because i'm not that person i'm just not like projected onto somebody else that deserves it or or that falls more into that category i'm actually not that girl and it's it's killing me it's making me sick like i can't keep doing this
1: I'm Eli Roth, and this is my Shudder original series, History of Horror Uncut. Each episode is a candid conversation with a master of the genre, drawn from raw and unfiltered interviews conducted for my AMC TV series, Eli Roth's History of Horror. These are deep dives into the dark power and wicked fun of frightening movies, the craft that goes into making them, and the ways that horror reflects the anxieties of our times. They're also probing, insightful, and often funny conversations that open up doors into the minds of horror star creators. The terror begins right after this. At 12, Megan Fox was a model. At 15, she acted in her first movie, At 20, she was the female lead in Transformers and a world-famous sex symbol. In interviews, she was brash and outrageous, openly discussing the marketing of her sexuality, quotes that fed the celebrity machine, but also set in motion an ugly media backlash. It all came to a head in 2009 when she starred in two major films, Transformers 2 and Jennifer's Body. One of those movies made a fortune, the other tanked, But both were trashed by critics, and the high-profile fox was singled out for scorn. But, as is often the case with genre films, time has redeemed Jennifer's body. A decade later, this acidly funny horror comedy directed by Karin Kusama from a script by Diablo Cody has become a cult classic. For a new generation of young women, Megan's frightening, funny, often touching performance as the demon-possessed Jennifer is iconic. Megan sat down with history of horror showrunner Kurt Sianga for a thoughtful discussion of horror, feminism, and the dark side of celebrity.
2: Tell me a little about the, first the plot of Jennifer's Body.
0: The plot of Jennifer's Body. You have two high school friends, female friends, who have a really complicated relationship dynamic. They go to see a rock concert of this up-and-coming emo rock band who have decided that they're willing to do whatever it takes to become mega-famous, including sacrificing a virgin to Satan. My character is chosen to be sacrificed, and it all goes to the left when we realize that my character, Jennifer, wasn't a virgin, so the sacrifice backfires and I become inhabited by a demon who needs to feast on the flesh of boys in order to sustain this new life right i don't know if that's how diablo would describe it that's That's pretty much how she described it yeah
2: (laughs) so who is jennifer at least at the beginning and then she becomes something else obviously
0: um jennifer is nini's best friend she's a bad friend she's a bad best friend she's a high school girl who is popular More so because some of the other kids fear her. She's kind of ruthless and scary in the way that teenage girls can be very scary. She's a cheerleader and one of those sort of that archetype of that, you know, that popular girl that's been assigned the character as the pretty girl. And the not so nice one, the the one that gets into lots of misadventures.
2: She seems really unhappy too. I mean, beneath that facade.
0: Yeah, I thought that was pretty obvious as well, that Jennifer, even though she's playing this role within the high school of that kid that that everybody wants that one, right? We all want to be... If Instagram had existed back then, Jennifer would have had the most followers, right? But she's not happy. She's very angsty, very angry. And... Looking for an outlet for all of those emotions, I felt like, looking for a place to project them. But being a teenager and not understanding that that's what you're doing, and so it it can get you into a lot of trouble because you're not able to process, you know, why am I not happy? What's wrong with me? What are these things that I'm feeling? And not really understanding the social structures that you're living in and thinking that it's normal and not being able to think beyond that. And so you're sort of a prisoner of your own conditioning at that point.
2: What is Jennifer's relationship to boys?
0: At first, Jennifer's relationship to boys is, she does seem to be a little aggressive already and promiscuous. Like She's definitely a more promiscuous girl than, than Needy is. We obviously don't see Jennifer's father in the movie at all. Presumably, he's not present or there's some kind of broken relationship there. And so she's trying to validate those Feelings of insecurity, she's trying to fill that with the attention of other boys at school, but not in a way where she chases after them. She's never the passive, oh, I hope you like me type. She's the, I know you're going to like me type. <laughs> you have no choice but to like me type. And I don't really like you, so I'm going to use you. She's a user with Needy as well.
2: I mean, she has power over them until she enters a situation where she loses that power pretty right.
0: dramatically. Whereas, yeah. all of a sudden it's these older guys they're not the kids in her high school anymore. There is this band that, you know, as far as they're concerned, as far as Needy and Jennifer is concerned, they're famous. They're, they're amazing. And they're older, they're more mature. And all of a sudden she doesn't have power in this situation. And the power is really ripped out of her. (laughs) It's taken out of her uh, with a knife. So momentarily she's, she's a victim there, but then, you know, the demon takes over and she victimizes those that dare to be the same species as the people that victimized her.
2: Was it unusual for a movie to bring to the forefront the kind of abuse, you know, like a very attractive young woman can get from conforming to the standards of this culture?
0: I I feel like I hadn't seen any movies telling that story at the time, especially and definitely not in this way, with like this very sort of offbeat humor mixed in with the horror elements. I thought it was so unique, this movie. But yeah, it, it is an interesting story about how you can be all those things that society wants you to be. But really, society just wants you to be those things so they can rip you down and punish you for being those things that they think you should be. And that's what happens to Jennifer. Known a couple of girls that's happened to as well in real life.
2: <laughs> How much of yourself did you bring to this?
0: I felt like at the time, I did an interview with, I think with Diablo, where I was like, I don't think there was anybody that could have played Jennifer at that time better than I could have played Jennifer, because essentially I was Jennifer in a lot of ways. And I was really struggling with the level of fame that I had already. And this was before the second Transformers even, when it really exploded, but I was already struggling with it. It, In that same way where you see in Jennifer that angst, that sort of anger of not understanding like... Okay, well, I know there's more to me than this character that I'm having to play. But I don't know how to communicate that to people because I wasn't in high school, but I was in my very early 20s. And, you know, I don't know how to properly represent myself. I'm in the middle of this hurricane. Everyone's decided who I am. It's been plastered over every magazine and every billboard. And now I'm trying to live with it, and I don't know what to do. And I'm angry and I'm depressed. Sometimes I do feel like I'm being taken over by a demon at the time. Not now. Although when I get mad, sometimes my kids are like, you're like a demon. <laughs> um, I I think that I brought a lot of myself to her because I was just in a position where I was really struggling with the misogyny in Hollywood and just the patriarchy of our entire society and how we've been living for hundreds and hundreds of years and just like the collective trauma that all women have dealt with for so long. I was living in at like this apex at this like heightened point in my life where I was vulnerable not knowing who I was and trying to navigate that with just no sort of blueprint at all.
2: You're also in a weird position in that you're sort of marketed as, you know, a sex symbol and you're very attractive. And at the same time, the women who might be on your side might also not be on your side because there's an aspect of jealousy and all that. That
0: was something that I was really surprised by when the movie came out. Some of the female journalists, the movie reviewers, were brutal about me in particular because there was just this venom that existed and I didn't really understand what what i what did i do i didn't do anything like i didn't even create this image this this person that exists out there this has been created through movie trailers and like i said magazine spreads and articles and like sound bites and i'm just a normal person like anybody else and there was all of this sort of vitriol being spewed at me mostly at that time from other women or women who claimed to be feminist and so I was really heartbroken by like, why am I being rejected by the feminist community? Like I'm a I'm a feminist. I, I'm a woman. I love women. I want women to do well and be supported. And why don't I belong there? What did I do? And so that was kind of a difficult thing for me to deal with as well and try to understand at that age. It was like, what did I personally do to you? But I was an archetype at that point. It had been projected onto me. And so that issue of I think it was the Mayan culture where they used to take like the healthiest teenage kid from the tribe, a 16-year-old, and that was the kid that would be chosen, celebrated because they were the healthiest, the strongest, had the most promise. But that would be the one that would be dragged up to the top of the temple and sacrificed for the sake of everybody else in the, in the tribe for them to continue living a living a good life. And I kind of felt like that was me. And I didn't know why. Like I didn't volunteer for that. I didn't know that was part of the plan. Like I was just making movies, going to be an actor like anybody else was going to be an actor. I wasn't ready for that level of fame. I wasn't ready for this like aggressive kind of, it felt violent to me. Like I was just being like ripped, ripped down from a pedestal. I didn't put myself on and then just brutalized for what. I was, It was very confusing for me. But yeah, I was a, also in a way a parallel with Jennifer. I had a lot of inspiration. I had a lot of things I could draw on at the time.
2: Did you see Carrie before you made Jennifer?
0: I saw Carrie when I was a young kid. Yes. Carrie's the reverse because she's obviously like a victim from the beginning and you're rooting for her and on her side kind of by the end. You're like, they they all deserve that. But That's kind of the case in this movie, too. Like, even though she's an unlikely hero, by the time you get to the end, it's like, maybe that specific kid didn't deserve it. But don't you all kind of deserve it for the things you've been doing, all the shit you've been up to for the last few thousand years? Like I said, it's like the collective unleashing of the female like anger and the unjust of what we've been dealing with for so long comes out of her and that part of the movie. And I don't know if Diablo was like specifically thinking that when she was writing it, but you get on her side because it's like, yeah, what happened to you is fucked up. I can understand being broken and being hurt and lashing out and having something take over you and just feel like you deserve revenge. I think we've all felt that at some point in our lives.
2: High school in particular seems like a real Yeah. Hotbed of emotions waiting to explode.
0: Yeah. Well, kids are that age are also dealing with like the the chemistry in their bodies and just like the hormones and their brains are not right. When you're a teenager, your brain just isn't right. they are chemically not balanced. And then you add in the social constructs and the way that they're trying to navigate that and interact with one another. And then you add in like even now with social media and all of that, it's an absolute pressure cooker for a complete disaster. I don't know how any of us made it out or how they're making it out now. And I think it is a lot harder to be a girl than it is to be a teenage boy. And that's a sweeping generalization, but I just am biased because I was one, but I just, I see it and it's just, the pressure is just different having to maintain a certain kind of image. And, and now, because since everybody's woke, right? So now it's the issue of like, you should still be beautiful and sexy, but you should also be smart and really strong and not ever act like you're sexy or not acknowledge that you're sexy. So there's, like, this weird thing that girls have to do now where it's, like, I, sh- I still have to adhere to a physical prototype because that's not gone yet. But I also have to act like I'm not that and that I don't want that, that I'm shunning that because I'm woke and I am enlightened and I understand deeper, more broad concepts than just that.
2: Were people, like, viewing you as this evil, evil girl like I Jennifer? think,
0: um, oh, God, it all hit, like... So many things happened at once when this movie was released. But I think, yeah, I was already becoming like a little bit. of I was being vilified a little bit at that point when the movie was getting ready for its release. It was that interesting juxtaposition of like shooting up to like extreme heights of fame right before the movie was released. And then like that thing that I was talking about of like the tearing me down was starting to happen. And then I had this media fallout with someone that I worked with. Uh, in the industry. And that happened right as I was on press door for Jennifer's Body. And so I think it all sort of just exploded at once. And yeah, I definitely felt like people viewed me as being negative or having bad intentions or, or just being really shallow and selfish, if, if it could be reduced and simplified even down to that
2: you think that backlash proves the movie's point? It's about cultural misogyny? I,
0: I do. Of course I do. And to hear all the behind-the-scenes things like Diablo and Karin went through when they were testing the movie and even the way the studio heads were dealing with everybody in regards to the movie and how they wanted the trailers cut and what it was supposed to be about, it just was over everyone's heads that like this is an interesting, complicated movie about what it is to be a teenage girl, what it is to be a woman, what it is to have a relationship with another woman, what it is to have a male ideals and desires and needs projected onto you and how heavy that weight is that you carry on your shoulders. There's there's so many things in this movie. None of it was like acknowledged or honored at all by any of the people who were marketing the movie or putting the movie out. It was just a movie about like Megan Fox has a lesbian makeout scene and swims naked in a lake. And let's make sure everybody knows that. So it was really not a very just experience that the movie got because it's a great movie and Diablo wrote a great script and Karen did an amazing job directing it and Amanda's amazing and Johnny's amazing. and The acting performances are really special, I think. Yeah, at the time it just wasn't appreciated. It's so interesting how it sort of, it preempted, it preceded the Me Too movement and everything that's come after it by almost a decade. It was so ahead of its time.
2: Is Horror a good place a good venue to look at what it's like to be a teenage girl in America?
0: In America specifically? I I do think so because I do think it is it is a nightmare for a lot of us. It is a really difficult experience that like I said it does feel there is something like an element of violence to it even if it's never physical, it's like emotional violence mental violence that you deal with as a teenage girl growing up and trying to like survive high school and go on to college and and go out into the world and figure out who am I and what am I doing and how do I how do I transcend all of these things so i think the horror genre is actually a great genre to explore those concepts because you can make physical what a lot of girls are feeling internally all the time
2: There's one scene towards the end of Jennifer's body where she's doing her makeup. Yeah. And tell me about that and what you were thinking.
0: Um, It's interesting that you bring that. No one ever brings that scene up. And that was a scene where when we filmed that, everybody behind the camera was like, whoa. Because I didn't have to act that at all. That was a moment where Jennifer was depleted because she hadn't fed recently. And so she was like, she was losing some of her hair. Her skin was bad. All of these things were going wrong, but she, it was prom. So she had to get ready for prom, right? And she, I forget which which queen she was, but she was, you know, she should have been prom queen. This was her moment. And yet she's like falling apart and not living up to the expectations. And I felt the same way in that moment of like all of these things that have been projected onto me that I didn't even resonate with. Like when I was a kid, it was never about, am I pretty? No one ever told me that. It was always about, like, oh, that's a, she's a smart girl, she's a funny girl, she's a strange girl. These are the things that I grew up knowing. And now all of a sudden I'm supposed to be this other thing that doesn't feel right to me. I was an athletic kid, I was a competitive swimmer, I was all this other, all these other tools I had the pretty thing never I thought was a tool. And then all of a sudden it became the only thing that I was. And I didn't, I felt like it was a an act. It was fake. And so, you know, every pimple I got, or, you know, if I lost too much weight, if I gained too much weight, it was all so scrutinized. And And I felt like I can't be this thing that they want me to be because I'm not that person i'm just not like projected onto somebody else that deserves it or or that falls more into that category i'm actually not that girl and it's killing me it's making me sick like i can't keep doing this so in that moment where she's smearing like this makeup all over her face to like hide all the imperfections and hide the way that she's suffering basically that was my Every day getting up trying to leave the house. So that was a very real scene for me. And no one ever brings that up. I appreciate you for noticing that.
2: So you're you're a mom. I am, yeah. Three kids, sir. Three, three boys. Three boys. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you have your hands full. So, I do, yeah. Uh, Chilling children. Yeah, the, uh, the the evil child subgenres. So, how do you relate to that now that you're a mom?
0: Um, I've never loved watching those movies ever. They've always been particularly spooky for me. But now I really can't watch. I can't watch anything to do with kids and. I mean, I have my own, I think every parent who has multiple kids at least has that moment where like your kid's been sleepwalking or something and they're just like standing at the next to your bed, staring at you and you wake up and you're like, holy fuck, what are you doing? And he, and then every horror movie you've ever seen leading up to that with children in it who have been possessed or like the demonic that all that comes to your mind and you're like looking in your kid's eyes, like, is it you? Um, maybe not every parent does that, maybe that's just me, <laughs> but I, I've had those moments where, like, those things that I saw growing up, uh, I don't like to see them now. It's weird when you have a small child or little kids, everything changes. I don't want to think about kids being possessed and haunted by ghosts and taken away and all of those things. I just like to keep it Pixar now.
2: Did you ever see The Exorcist?
0: Yeah, of course.
2: Yeah. You think yeah.
0: Of that? yeah, I was really disturbed by it growing up because I also grew up in the South, so we grew up very Christian, like Pentecostal Christian, where in the church I came from, they performed exorcisms and things like that were happening on a weekly, multi-weekly basis. Um, My own dad used to help perform some of the exorcisms in the church. So for me, anything that deals with demons, that's all really real to me, even though I'm not particularly religious now. That's just something that I accepted. That's a belief system that I've accepted. It's real. Um, So that movie was really hard to watch for that reason. And then also, yeah, she was a kid. That makes it all the more confusing and hard to process a I was a kid when I saw it, which is shouldn't happen. I don't know why it happened, but even as an adult, it's that's a thing of like something that's supposed to be so innocent, becoming so evil. That's the draw of that genre, right of taking something that should always be beautiful and pure, and now it's something that could harm it's you
2: teenage girls, of course, so yeah. which we're getting into yeah. um. Just to go back to Carrie, just what were your thoughts about Carrie and particularly the performances? For your mind?
0: I, the performances of Carrie were unbelievable. And Sissy Spacek, I don't know, she it was just so haunting. And part of it is her look too. And then that combined with, I don't know, because she was so, so broken, but also kind of like removed enough from it in a way where it was a really layered interesting performance and it made you feel all kind it made me feel all kinds of things because you feel bad for her of course but I from the beginning of the movie was kind of I was afraid of her from the moment it opened because there was something I felt always a little sinister when something was different about her and that was all in sissy spacex body language and the look in her eyes and I don't know it was a mesmerizing performance
2: why are those girls so cruel to Carrie of everybody
0: I forget what year that movie was made 76 I was going to say 70 something then and now really it's still the same it hasn't shifted that much I just think that all the pressure that's put on young girls especially back then at a very young age to be perfect or to be desirable or to be passive or to be all of these things that are assigned to you when you're young that automatically puts us in competition with one another even as children because it's it's always like well there can only there can only be one queen so it's it's gonna be me because it's it can't be you because who am I if I'm not the most beautiful if I'm not the best then what am I because that's what I was raised to be I have to be the one that everyone thinks is special so it sort of pits girls against each other and creates this environment where like they can't embrace each other. They can't love each other because they're trying to prove that they're the one.
2: Were you relieved that you had boys, not girls?
0: Um, yeah, I feel like there's probably going to be a fourth baby at a certain point. I do feel like it'll be a daughter because I feel like karmically that's like a, that's a mirror I have to look into, right? Like I have to really explore that and experience psychologically what it is to be the mother of a, of a daughter and you know, all the interesting dynamics that come through that because right when she's in her 20s, I'm going to be going through menopause, right? So this person that I always thought I was my whole life, I'm going to have to start letting that person go because I'm like crossing the threshold into like, I should be coming like a sage at that point and letting go of a sex kitten image and all of these other things that I used to be while she's like fully blossoming. It's very complicated, a relationship between a mother and a daughter. And I don't think I'm going to escape that this lifetime. I think that I'm going to have to deal with that and really do a lot of inner work on myself and revisiting like the little girl that was me because that's always what happens when you have kids you see yourself as a child and your and your children and you realize where your parents took missteps and where things went wrong and where you were hurt and you didn't even realize it you, you uncover all these wounds these subconscious wounds that you have um so I think yes I'm relieved I have three boys but I don't think I'm out of the woods yet.
2: talk a little about witches. Do you have any favorite witch movies?
0: Well, my sons, my oldest son in particular loves Hocus Pocus. So we watched that a lot and that's a good movie. He's he's 7, he can handle that level of It's a it's still a little scary for them, but they can handle that level of it. Mine I would say would be The Witches of Eastwick. I like that movie a lot. It's so good. Obviously, all the actors in it are amazing. The performances are amazing, but also just the idea of like Him strolling in, and he's like the, you know, incarnated Satan essentially, or some kind of really strong, powerful, demonic lord in human form. And he's got this, these like concubines basically living in this house together, and it all goes so wrong. And they come back and take revenge. And it's also like so unapologetic. Like I watch it and I'm like, whoa, the stuff they got away with in the 80s. It's still some of it's kind of provocative even now in that movie. So I don't know. I like that movie. I love Cher in that movie too. I feel like that's my, she's my guardian. Since I've had kids, I haven't seen any like genuine horror movies. I'm a little worried about it. I'm also super sensitive. You don't seem like you believe in paranormal things. (laughs) It was the mustache that gave it away. Um, but, But I do and I experience them. And so at a certain point I had to stop watching anything that that goes too far into that certain area because then I have like these epically frightening, disturbing dreams and experiences afterwards.
2: Uh, stay away from the movie Hereditary.
0: I've heard. Everyone that has seen it that knows me is like, don't you ever watch that movie? Yep. So I won't.
2: Yep. So someone once wrote that witches teach us the glory and risk that comes with power for a woman. it's mm-hmm. think there's truth in that statement.
0: I love that. I want to get that tattooed on my body. I love that. All those other quotes. Yeah. That's an age-old thing also, like dating back even to like Greek mythology, isn't it? That's something that's existed in our deepest recesses of our subconscious as as humans. Yeah. That the power that you have as a witch and then also, you know, at some point they're always cursed by their own power and they're always like Lilith who's one of my favorite characters from folklore Adam's first wife who dared not to submit to Adam and then he went and he begged for a new wife and so Eve came from his flesh. Lilith for her transgressions for her sins of just being independent and having her own brain she was banished to the desert and turned into a demon banshee where now she haunts pious men and you know tries to seduce them in their sleep and eat their babies and all of those things it's kind of that that's ultimately what always happens to the witch right in the movies is like the beauty's taken away or you find out that she was always a hideous hag the whole time underneath <laughs> underneath the facade or you know she's she's punished at some point for having the power and i think that it's always been that she has negative intentions right we don't see a lot of good witch stories a lot of good stories about this is How a woman can be very powerful and also make life better for everyone, fix global warming, or
2: if she is given the chance. That's one thing I think of. (laughs) It's like with the TV series Bewitched, yeah, I Dream of Genie. She's not a witch, she's a genie, but still, she has superpowers. You know, Kim Novak and Bell Book and Candle, these are all cool witches, yeah. And the major thing you have to do is suppress her power. Don't fix, you know, all the problems in the world, whatever else. So just shut up and be a housewife.
0: Exactly. (laughs) And then you're the acceptable witch. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that story has to stop being told. People, filmmakers need to start telling a different story now where you can have the witch who does have all the powers and she doesn't have to be evil and she doesn't have to be punished at the end. Movies are powerful. People don't realize. Movies really do shift the consciousness of the human collective because people sit there and they're going in to just relax and have an experience. And what they're taking in, it does communicate things to their brains and then they leave and don't realize that they've accepted a belief system from having watched that movie. And so filmmakers are in a, a very powerful position to really change that narrative now and it can be done and it it's as simple as making a great movie where you have a female character who is powerful who shouldn't have to be intimidating to men who can be allowed to be who she is let's make that movie
2: Has the reception you've gotten then changed, especially from women over the years, since Jennifer's body came out? And what, what is the uh, status of the movie now?
0: When it first came out, it, it wasn't received very well. It didn't make a lot of money. It was, like, widely panned um, in the press. And I sort of just, you know, I don't really keep up with how my projects have done. or I try to just have, like, blinders on, like normal person blinders. So I just focus on real things in life. And years went by and I assumed like, okay, everybody hated that movie. I don't understand why. I loved it. Every time I do watch it or I've seen it, I'm like, such a good movie. About eight years passed and then I would be out in LA for Halloween and I would notice like more and more Jennifer Checks girls dressed up as my character from the movie. And then at a certain point, I had to get on social media. I didn't want to. It's like a requirement from the agency. And as they would start, like, breaking down my fan base, it was mostly girls from the ages of, like, 15 to 35. That's actually my majority fan base. It's not much to do with guys at all. And. Their favorite thing that I've ever done, of course, is Jennifer's body. And so I started realizing a couple of years ago that that movie had kind of turned into a cult classic and a lot of people really love it. And I have other actors in the industry that'll be like, that's my favorite thing you've ever done. Like, that is a great movie. And it's so interesting that at the time, you know, it was just sort of written off and I was like, okay, well, that was a bust. I don't know why, but fuck it. And then now it's all sort of coming full circle and it's like this very empowering movie for young girls to watch and uh, like recreate and it does have its own memes and GIFs or GIFs, but it should be a GIF because it's a G, it doesn't make any sense. And so it's a nice sort of circle to have not expected. I didn't expect it to grow like that. But to see it being appreciated now obviously makes me feel really good. And I'm happy for Diablo and I'm happy for Karen because all these people put in a lot of hard work into making like a really quality project that was panned for reasons that, that had nothing to do with them. Like a lot of it was just about my image at the time and who I was in the media at the time and like the backlash to that. The movie never really stood a chance. So, yeah, it's a great thing to see that's that's happened. And it seems like it's just still growing. Like, every year it's growing. I'm going to be doing Jennifer's Body, like, horror conventions when I'm 50.
2: What's the appeal, Jennifer, to today's generation?
0: I've never thought about it in, in, in this way before. But I think that, like I said, look, re- regardless of how things are shifting now, being a teenage girl is, is a very difficult thing to be. And not just of how other girls interact with you in school or or the expectations that are being put on you by the outside world and by the media and, and the things that we see advertised and how we're supposed to look and how we're supposed to be. It's just so much pressure. And I think somewhere inside every girl, they can relate to this idea of feeling like my power has been taken away from me. And what would I do if I got all that power and then some back? And I imagine that that's one of the things that they relate to is being able to sort of that vicarious letting loose that like what's referred to like in our hippie circles as like the inner wild woman, like the inner wild witch like that we all have because that is an archetype, the Lilith archetype that's the opposite of the Eve, the passive supportive good wife. In each of us, there is that wild woman, that independent, free spirit. I don't submit to anyone. That's in all of us. And we want to be able to explore that. And this is like a heightened version of that. Like, if I could, if I could put that on turbo, what does it look like? And it looks like Jennifer. And I think that there's something like really freeing and that, that really resonates with a lot of girls because somewhere in the back of our psyches, we all do want to take revenge.
2: And that was our interview with the mighty Megan Fox. Next time, Ari Aster. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen so you never miss an episode. History of Horror Uncut is a Shudder original podcast hosted by Eli Roth and Kurt Sayanga. Produced by Kurt Sayanga. Engineered by Chris Heckman. With music by Maestro Joseph Bishara. For Oddity, Jessica Bastilos Heckman and Lacey Oglevoy. For Shudder, Craig Engler, Nicholas Lazo, and Samuel Zimmerman. The interviews in this program were originally conducted for the AMC television series Eli Roth's History of Horror. Executive producers Eli Roth, Kurt Senga, Stephen Michaels, Allison Berkeley, Joseph Freed, Jody Flynn, and James McNabb. Senior producer Ben Raphael Sure. Thanks to Kelly Nash, Richard Drew, Chris Powers, and most valuable player Clara Zwerbel at AMC. This is Kurt Zynga for Eli Roth's History of Horror Uncut.